Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, I'll ask the kids, but I'm going to ask you. Have you ever jumped from the middle of a book to the end of a book to see how things turn out? Now, I haven't done so in quite some time, but I can remember as a kid doing that a few times. Getting into the middle of the story and just being too anxious about how things were going. And I had to just know how some of these characters were going to be in the end. And so I would jump to the end of the book and I would see how things turned out. And then once you figure out how things are going to be in the end, it takes a lot of the stress out of things. You can just read and you don't have to worry about it because you know how it's going to turn out in the end. Knowing how things end, how things are going to turn out, makes things a whole lot less stressful. Any of you remember the TV show Lost? Did you watch that one? Okay. Lost was about people that were on a plane. The plane crashes and there are survivors and they're on this, this island. And mysterious things start happening all around them. It has just an incredible beginning. The first season is filled with all kinds of twists and turns and mysteries and storylines. And you're going, all right, this this is great. They're building something and and it's going to pay off. It's going to be so good. But as the seasons went on, they just kept piling on more questions, piling on more mysteries, and they never resolved anything. They just kept having more and more and more layers without actually giving you any resolution on anything. And eventually it just seems like the the show was wandering aimlessly. There was no destination. And it seemed that way because that's how it actually was. (laughs) The writers didn't actually have an ending in mind. They had a good premise. They had a a good beginning. They had no clue how things were going to be in the end. That's how a lot of people look at the world today. They look around and they say, well, if if there's a God, it doesn't seem like he has much of a plan because... All around us, all we see is chaos. They see the chaos. They see the seemingly random things that happen. And it looks to them like the author has lost the story. But Revelation chapter 21 makes it clear that the author of all creation knows exactly how things are going to be in the end. The whole book of Revelation, the whole Bible, the whole of creation, the whole history of the world leads up to the events that are described in Revelation chapter 21. And there God reveals to us how things will end. We get to peek at the end of history, at the end of the story, and we know how things turn out. Revelation 21 follows the turmoil and the troubles described in the previous chapters. It follows right after the final defeat of Satan and that great day of judgment. And Revelation 21 tells us how things will be in the end. So let's, let's walk through Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. A new heaven, a new earth. The old creation, tainted and warped with sin, it's all gone. But God doesn't just destroy it, he renews it. I love how Martin Franzman describes this. He writes, all things are new, not merely as more recent in date, but as created and designed to supersede and replace the old. The first, new with an astounding end of time newness, unheard of and wondrous, as unpredictably strange as the fact that the new covenant, which succeeds and replaces the ruins of the guilt-marred old covenant, should be a covenant of divine forgiveness, which renews men for knowledge of God and for a spontaneous obedience to him. God makes all things new. And then he says, and the sea is no more. Now, for you beach lovers, don't, don't get too worried about this. This is not speaking literalistically of God getting rid of the oceans, but rather the sea in the book of Revelation consistently represents chaos. It represents disorder. It represents evil. And that's all gone. What God is communicating here is that evil and chaos, they don't exist in the new creation. Verse 2, and I saw the new the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride or, uh, or adorned for her husband. The church fathers all understood this to be about the church. The New Jerusalem, prepared as a bride for her husband, this is the church. On this, the last day, which is also the first day of the new creation, the souls who have died, trusting in Christ, come down out of heaven, they're renewed in their resurrected bodies, and those perfect glorified bodies are there to live with God forever in bodies that will never die again. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from, uh, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the fulfillment of what we hear in Jeremiah again and again and again. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is the fulfillment of that new covenant Jeremiah talks about in which people will just know the Lord. They won't have to be instructed in the ways of the Lord. They will know the Lord and they will simply do the Lord's will. And this is the restoration of Eden too, isn't it? You remember how things were at the beginning? God creates Adam and Eve, and how does he interact with them? He walks and talks with them in the garden. Face to face, they know God. They're with him. Well, God's going to do that again. Here we have Eden restored. God comes and he dwells with his people. If you were in Bible class last Sunday, we talked about this word dwell. It's really a word that it's the same word as tabernacle. God tabernacled among his people in the Old Testament. You remember how the, the tabernacle was that tent where God made his dwelling? And it was right in the middle of the camp, and there's God, and the people are all around, but you couldn't approach God, right? 
You couldn't actually just go in and say, you know what, I'd like to go talk to God now. You couldn't do that because sin separated God and man. Well, in the new creation, that's not how it's going to be. New creation, God tabernacles with his people. He comes down, he dwells with us, but in such a way that there's, there's nothing separating us from him. Sin is gone, and so we can interact with God very directly. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't this just beautiful? Death has died. Mourning and crying are gone. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah 25, in which Isaiah says that God will swallow up death forever and wipe away tears from all faces. Sin and all of its impacts are gone. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Notice here, these words are not spoken by a prophet. God himself speaks these words. In the new creation, we don't need any intermediary, do we? We don't need a prophet from God because God is there, right there with us, speaking to us. And God doubles down on what he's already promised. He says, I am making all things new. And then he says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, Bank on it. Mark it. Believe it. This is what will be. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. It is done. I mean, how can you not think of the words of Jesus on the cross, right? It is finished. Well, on the cross, the payment for sin was finished. All that was necessary for the salvation of mankind was accomplished. But here when God says, it is done, he means that the entire restoration of creation has been accomplished. The goal of the cross has been achieved. I love here, too, the allusion to the water. You remember the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Oh, where are you going to get this water, Jesus? And he says, well, I have water you don't even know about. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, that that water is ours for eternity, Jesus is telling us here. And what's the price? What can you give for water that wells up to everlasting life? It's ours without payment. It's a gift. A gift from God. As is resurrection life. As is the new heavens and the new earth. As is dwelling with God. It's all gift. It's all a gift from God. Verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. 
and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, why does it say son? Why doesn't it say, they will be my son or daughter? The women are cut out. Sorry, no. Uh, (laughs) That's not what it means at all. But who could receive an inheritance? The son. In the legal world that uh, John lived in here, a son could receive an inheritance. And so God is saying, you all get the inheritance. You're all heirs of mine. You all are part of the family, and you get all of the perks that come with being part of the family. See, this is how things will be in the end. We already know the ending, don't we? We know how things will be in the end and for eternity. So in the midst of the chaos of our lives, when things are hard, and we just don't even understand why things are happening, we can take a a look at the back of the book. We can breathe a deep sigh of relief and we can say, but I know how things turn out. God makes all things new. By faith in Christ, we know the ending. Behold, says the Lord, I am making all things new. Write it down. Bank on it. Believe it. This is what will be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.